stand with me for the reading of the word this morning? Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, Go, show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him, and he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, Were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to, to give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, Rise and go, your faith has made you well. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So glad that you're here this morning. Having a little bit of trouble here. Might be able to, oh, oh, perfect. All right, good morning. So glad that you're here this morning. My name is Pastor Jaron, for those of you that don't know. Um, I'm the pastor of daycare families and staff here at C1 NAS. Um, it's always just such a privilege and a joy to be able to share with you um, on Sunday mornings. Throughout the past couple of weeks, we've been going through a sermon series entitled, Who Are You? And if you remember, just a few weeks ago, Pastor Stan shared this quote and said, tell me what you love and I'll tell you who you are. Pastor Stan shared with us that quote because it's kind of this idea that where our hearts are pointed, where we choose to direct our love tells us about who we truly are. And I think that what, what we're trying to get out with this series is that who you are is very important. It's important that we figure out our identity because it affects everything that we do. I'll never forget when I was going, to, uh, going on my first day of high school. I was beginning my freshman year. I remember me and my brother, we were standing beside the door about ready to head out um, to go get on the bus. And my dad came over like he did uh, every morning. And uh, he prays with us and he prayed with us. Uh, but this time he said something different. He said, now boys, now Jaron, this is your first time going to high school. And with high school comes a lot of different things, a lot of different temptations. Um, and, and a lot of people are going to be looking at you to see what you're doing, what you're saying. And he's saying, here's what I want you to do. I just want you to remember who you represent. He says, you represent two different things. First, and most importantly, you represent Jesus Christ. You represent the God you serve. So what you say and what you do and how you act tells people about the God that you serve. It's important that you remember who you represent. And secondly, you represent the Rogers name. Generations of Rogers have gone before you and with that last name comes a reputation and a history and that representation and history is what you're continuing on today. And you can continue it with your words and your actions and what you do. So you need to remember who you represent, Jesus and the Rogers name. And that kind of stuck with us and throughout our whole entire uh, school career, every single morning, dad would pray with us and then he'd just simply say, remember who you represent. Even when we went to parties or, or when we went over to a friend's house, he'd always say, remember who you represent. And with those words, we were reminded that our identity matters. Our identity 
matters, right? Being a Rogers and being a Christian mattered, right? It affected everything I did. It affected, it affected what I said, how I acted, every single area of my life. And we're going to be talking more about how our identity affects what we do and how we act. But as we continue this uh, series, I want to kind of come at it from a different angle. Pastor Stan's been talking about who we are, but I want to look at it from who we are not. Who, are, who we are not. We're going to be looking at some dangerous habits, some bad perspectives that so many of us tend to have that are not in line with who God is calling us to be. We're going to be looking at four things specifically that we are not called to be. In order to figure that out, as you've already heard today, we're going to be looking at the story of the ten lepers as found in Luke 17. So if you want to get out your Bible, you're welcome to follow along. Luke 17. In Luke 17, we catch Jesus right smack dab in what is the middle of his ministry. And just before this chapter, Jesus has been um, telling multiple parables, one right after the other, right after the other. Uh, in, the, in the chapters before chapter 17, we see parables of the lost coin, of the shrewd manager, of the lost sheep. And he ends his list of parables, with, which is what is pop, probably one of the scariest parables. It's the parable of Lazarus and the rich man. Like, this will keep you up at night. If you haven't read it, I encourage you to check it out. Um, and after Jesus teaches all these parables, Luke then switches gears. Jesus isn't talking about parables anymore. But instead, Luke describes Jesus' journey to Jerusalem. If you remember, Jerusalem is what is going to be the climax of Jesus' story. It's going to be the finish line for Jesus, the final destination. In Luke's narrative, Jesus has his eyes set on Jerusalem. He has his eyes set on what surely is going to be his death. And he, begin, he begins walking straight towards it. And it's on his way to Jerusalem, on his way to his death, that he encounters an unlikely group of people. So let's begin reading. Look with me. Luke 17, verse 11. Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. And I think that Luke is doing something just here in just the first couple lines of this story. And it's subtle. And if we uh, read really quickly through this passage, many times we will miss it. And some of your Bibles may see it differently, but the NIV gets the translation correct. And what we should begin to notice about this passage is, is this phrase. Now Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee, and as he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. Ten men who had leprosy met him. Now some of your Bibles might say men, or it might say ten lepers met Jesus, but the NIV translates the Greek correctly and says men with leprosy. Now I know you might be thinking, it's six of one, half dozen of the other, right? Same thing, what's the difference? But I think it's important to see that Jesus did not view these men by their iniquities. He did not see them by their disease. To Jesus, the condition of their skin was merely a footnote. That did not define them. To Jesus, these were men. In Jesus' day, as Pastor CJ said, whenever you contract a disease such as leprosy, you literally lost everything. Your family, your home, 
your job, even your identity is lost. You were no longer Joe the carpenter, but now you're unclean. Now you're an abomination. You're an outcast. You're cast out of the city, right? You lose your identity. But here comes Jesus. And suddenly here's someone who doesn't see them as lepers, but he sees them in a different light. While, they had lep- while the fact they had leprosy was difficult to ignore, Jesus saw something more. They were first and foremost men, loved by their creator. And secondly, they had leprosy. The first thing that Luke teaches us in this passage is that just like men with leprosy, you are not defined by your sin. You are not defined by your sin. We live in an age and a day in which society wants to ensure that each and every one, every one of us is defined by our sin and our wrongdoing. No matter when you did it, how you did it, did it, whether you apologize, whether you've changed, whether you made matters right, it does not matter. You are defined by what you've done. You, your past in sin is who you are. That's just the world we live in. If you don't believe me, just flip on the news. It seems like every week we see a news story about a celebrity or a person who, who everyone seems to like. They did something good. The public perception is generally pretty positive about this person. But then all of a sudden, someone pulls out a tweet from like 20 years ago, right? Or someone has a video of them when they were in college. And suddenly, that person is no longer defined by who they are, but they're defined by the actions that had taken place so many years ago. They're forever defined by that tweet, by that video, by what they said way back then. It's the world we live in. So much so that many times we hold ourselves to the same standards. We tell ourselves, what I did back then, that must be who I am. My sin, my addiction, I should just give up. It's simply who I am. That past that God's forgiven me for, maybe that's just who I am. My current mistakes, my current slip-ups, maybe that's what defines me. And we hold ourselves to those same standards. That's what we convince ourselves of. Our self-identity has been skewed by sin and by the brokenness of the world. But the good news is today that just how Jesus did not see the men with leprosy as defined by their rotting flesh or disease, neither does he see you by your past or current slip-ups. That's not how Jesus defines you. To Jesus, that's not who you are. Instead, Jesus sees you as how you were meant to be created. He sees you as his good and pleasing creation. He sees you as a child of God, as someone made exactly and particularly for a very specific purpose that he wants to relay to you. That's the truth. That's your definition not your sin, not your past. Now, does that mean that we should just ignore our sin? Obviously not. But in reality, I think that the first step in overcoming the hurdle of our sins and the first step in overcoming the hurdle of our addictions is realizing that our addictions and sin do not define us. 
that pitfall that you keep falling into, that is not who you are. The struggle that you have with anger, that is not who you are. Your addiction isn't you. And so we have to choose to turn away from those things and do what the lepers did. We have to call out to God. We have to ask for his healing touch and follow him in faith and obedience. God wants you to see that you are not defined by your sin. We're going to show you a clip now, and it's from uh, the movie Les Miserables, or Les Mis, as some of you might know. Um, this uh, clip I'm going to show you isn't from the musical version. It's from the old one that doesn't have music because I know that some of you are like me and can't help yourself but sing along. So I'm showing the one that doesn't have music in it, okay? For those of you that don't know, um, Les Mis is about a man named Jean Valjean. And uh, Valjean is a, a man who was thrown into prison because he stole a loaf of bread in order to feed his sister's family. And they put him in prison for an unprecedented amount of time for such a simple crime. He finally gets out. And now he has to face this cruel world uh, with nothing, destined to fail and destined to starve. And uh, just before the clip that, we're gonna sh- that I'm gonna show, um, Valjean encounters a priest. And the priest invites him into his house and he feeds him and he gives him a warm bed to sleep in for the night. But Valjean knows that morning is coming and he knows that he has to get ahead somehow or else he will surely die of starvation. And so he goes into the priest's kitchen and he steals all of his silver and he walks out with a big bag of silver that he stole from the priests. And that's, what the, that's where we're gonna pick up. This is the next day. So we'll use wooden spoons. I don't want to hear anything more about it. I'm sorry to disturb you. You caught him. But I had my eye on this man. Oh, and thank God. I'm very angry with you, Jean Valjean. What happened to your eye, Monseigneur? Didn't he tell you he was our guest last night? Oh, yes. After we searched his knapsack and found all this silver, he claimed <laughs> that you gave it to him. Yes. Of course I gave him the silverware. But why didn't you take the candlesticks? That was very foolish. Madame Gillot, fetch the silver candlesticks. They're worth at least 2,000 francs. Why did you leave them? Hurry. Monsieur Valjean has to get going. He's lost a lot of time. Did you forget to take them? Are you saying he told us the truth? Of course. Thank you for bringing him back. I'm very relieved. Release him. You're really letting me go? Didn't you understand the bishop? Madame Gillot, offer these men some wine. They must be thirsty. Thank you. And don't forget. Don't ever forget. You've promised to become a new man. Promise? Why are you doing this? Jean Valjean, my brother, you no longer belong to evil. With this silver, I've bought your soul. I've ransomed you from fear and hatred. And now I give you back to God.
I love this part in the movie because it's possibly one of the best examples of grace that you can find in a movie today. Here's this man, Valjean, destined to fail, destined to starve, and so he steals and actually assaults this priest the night before. But when the priest has every right to send him to prison for what he's done, he not only pardons the man, but in fact he offers him even more silver. I don't know if you could hear, but the priest said, with this silver, I give you back to God. The priest is saying, I know that what you did last night doesn't define you. I know your past sin and your actions isn't really who you are. And so I'm offering you another chance at life, a life that you can use for God. And if you've seen the rest of the movie, you know that Valjean uses that silver to completely rejuvenate his life. With that silver, he buys himself a new identity and suddenly he finds himself the mayor of this city and he's able to help so many other people. You see, in many ways, we are like Valjean. We sinned and we stole and we beat up God and we betrayed him. And then we stand before him and he has every right to condemn us. And yet, like the priest in this movie, he knows that our sin does not define us but rather our God sees that we have potential. That with his help, we too can be used to build his kingdom, to touch others, and to restore creation. Overcoming the hurdle of sin begins by realizing that our sin and our past and our mistakes do not define us, but seeing ourselves as Jesus sees us, as a child of God. Continue along with me in verse 12. As he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. Then when he saw them, he said, Go, show yourselves to the priest. Once again in this uh, very short passage, Luke does something that we can easily miss. It's very subtle. After the men with leprosy find themselves calling out to Jesus, they say, Have pity on us. It says these three words, Jesus saw them. Jesus saw them. Here was this group of outcasts. When others passed them, they usually averted their eyes. They were placed out of the city to be forgotten about and ignored, and yet Jesus saw them. Aren't you thankful for those times in your life when you were discouraged and beaten down, and yet Jesus saw you? I'm thankful for those times. This is a continuing theme throughout the book of Luke. Jesus always sees people first, and then he immediately redeems them. At the beginning of Luke, we see that Jesus sees Levi sitting at a tax collector booth, and he says, follow me. Then Jesus sees a widow crying over her deceased son, and he raises the boy from the dead. And then Jesus sees a woman who's bent over and he cries, woman, you are set free. And she's able to stand up straight. And then finally here in Luke 17, we see that Jesus sees 10 lepers and then he heals them. Over and over and over again, Jesus sees someone that no one else can see. Now what do all these people have in common? They were usually out on the margins. They were the outcasts. They were the sinners. 
They'd, be, they'd been written off as dirty and cheap tax collectors or cripples or unclean or even dead. But Jesus saw them differently. What Jesus shows us here is another thing which we are not. We are not to write others off. We are not to, not to write others off. What would it be like for us today to put on Jesus' glasses, to see the world through his eyes? Who are the people that we tend to hold up and to praise and put in the spotlight, but Jesus tends to ignore? And who are the people that we tend to push to the market margins and the people we tend to forget about? The people we judge and push out? Who are the people that we build walls up against and shut away to be forgotten and ignored? Who are those people that Jesus would be seeing and eating with and ministering to? Are we seeing who Jesus is seeing? All too easily we can lose our perception of the world. It's like wearing glasses with the wrong prescription. We fail to see the outsiders and the weirdos, the exact kind of people that Jesus himself would be ministering to. If you ask one of our kids in the service today, if you ask them and say, hey, what is the number one thing that you can do at school to show the love of Christ to someone else? I think that 99% of the time, you'll get the same answer. They'll say something along the lines of, well, I would go sit with that kid who nobody sits with at lunch. You see, our kids know how to see the world through Jesus' eyes. They know the exact person who Jesus would be sitting with in the lunchroom. What they are saying is Jesus would see this person differently, so why shouldn't I? You see, Jesus didn't just see the lepers that day, but he really sees them. Jesus really sees them. In this region of Galilee, it's likely that Jesus had traveled in this place before. He may have even walked within, within a distance of these lepers. He may have seen them before, but for some reason in Luke 17, Luke, uh, Jesus doesn't just see the lepers, but he sees them. He really gets into the depths of who they are. He really, truly sees them this time. How many people do you see each and every day, but you truly fail to see them, really see them as Jesus would? Every day you go to Circle K for that polar pop, and you, you always talk to that lady at the register, but when was the last time you really saw her? Or when was the last time you really saw that coworker that really gets underneath your skin? Or when was the last time you really saw that family member? It can become so comfortable for us to be on the inside looking out, seeing outsiders and people on the margins and having this us and them mentality and not truly seeing people. But what Jesus shows us in scripture is that he breaks barriers wide open. Where people saw simply a prostitute, Jesus sees a ministry opportunity. And where people saw a tax collector ripping people off at his booth, Jesus sees a disciple. And where people saw a cripple, Jesus saw a miracle waiting to happen. Who is Jesus begging you to see, to truly see? 
Who is Jesus saying, whoa, 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 you've got it all wrong. You're not seeing this person like I see them. Why don't you wear my glasses for a while? See that coworker how I see them. See that sinner how I see them. See that outcast as I see them. See that church member as I see them. Then you'll see their potential. Then you'll see that I care about them. Then you'll see that I love them. Then you'll see that no one should be written off or ignored, but rather everyone is invited into my presence. Can you hear him saying that this morning? I think I have an illustration for this. Does anybody know what this is? Does anybody know what this is? It's, it's a shark. Can anybody see the shark? No, nobody can see the shark. So what this is, is this is what's called a magic eye illustration. Has anybody done these before? So I used to have a whole book of these when I was a kid. And if you don't know what a magic eye illustration is, is it's a repeated image over and over again or repeated dodge over and over again. And what you do is if you look at the image and you kind of relax your eyes and maybe even cross them a little bit, bit, eventually an image will begin to come into focus and pop out of the image you're seeing here. Okay, I don't know that it'll work on the screen, but if you had it in front of you, you might be able to get it. And I had a whole book of these when I was a kid, and I got to the point where I was really, really good at making the image pop out and seeing the hidden image. And just the other day, we, the family was gathered together, and for some reason I had one of these on my phone. And so I had one of these magic eye illustrations on my phone, and I was kind of relaxing my eyes, and I got the shark to pop out. And I was like, whoa, this one's cool, I like this one. And so I leaned over to Annie, and I was like, hey, have you ever done these before? And she looked at it, she knew what it was, and she said, I've done those before, but I, I could never actually get it to work. She's like, I used to try it as a kid, never could get it to work, never have actually seen it pop out before. And I kind of gave her some tips. I was like, if you just relax your eyes, if you cross them, sometimes it helps if you like put the image right up next to your nose and then slowly back it away, you might see it pop out. And so here Annie was, and she was trying over and over again to see, see the shark, but it wasn't working, and she's like, I think you're just messing with me. I don't think there's anything in there. And I was like, I'm telling you the truth. And so I passed it to Kendra, my sister. And I was like, do you see a shark here? Have you ever done these before? So she begins to do it and crosses her eyes. And she sees the shark. And she's like, whoa, cool, a shark, that's awesome. And then, so she passes it to my brother. And he gets it to work. And he's celebrating because he can see it. And then we pass it to my sister-in-law. And she can see it. And all around the circle it goes until everybody can see the shark except for Annie. And so there Annie is. She's, um, she thinks we're all messing with her at this point. And I'm like, Annie, I'm serious. Like, just try again. Relax your eyes. You can do it, you know. And so Annie is, Annie is then sitting in the corner, and for about 15 minutes, she's just like crossing her eyes and like doing this whole deal in the corner. And we've all forgotten about Annie over there, and she's just like this. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, we hear this cry of exclamation. And we look over, and she's got this big smile on her face, and she's like frozen like this. And she's like, I see it! It's there! And we're like, you finally see the image? She's like, I can see the shark! And she's sitting there with her eyes crossed. And we're like, that's great, she finally got it. She finally sees the shark, and we were so excited for her. She had this big smile on her face. You see, you may see this picture, but do you really see it? Do you see what all of this picture has to offer? Do you see the depths of this picture? You see, that evening it began with me seeing something different, and then passing it on to Kendra, and then Trent, and then Nicole, and then Annie, each of us having our eyes open one after another to a reality which wasn't there before. You see, seeing people, outcasts, weirdos in a new light from a new perspective, really seeing them began with Christ. 
And he wants nothing more than to pass the phone to you and for you to see his, what he sees. For you to see the world through his eyes. And I gotta be honest, sometime it's gonna, sometimes it's gonna be a whole lot like Annie. That person who really gets under your skin, seeing them through Jesus' eyes is gonna be a whole lot like Annie. It's gonna take some time. It's gonna take some prayer. It's gonna take some hard work and some difficult love, right? But eventually, one day, you will finally see them through Jesus' eyes. And I believe that in that moment, when we finally see that person like Jesus sees them, we act just like Annie does. We get a big smile and we shout for joy because we finally see them how Christ sees them. We finally get it. Do you see the world through Jesus' eyes? Continuing on, look at, with me at verse 14. When he saw them, he said, go show yourselves to the priests. And they went, they were, as they went, they were cleansed. So here are these men with leprosy calling out to Jesus. He sees them and then he responds. What does he say? He says, go and show yourselves to the priests. And it's on their way that they are cleansed. They hadn't even made it to the priest yet, but they were cleansed along the way. They were healed along the way. It's important to see that Jesus did not leave the lepers as they were. He didn't say, I love you just the way you are, you're good, don't worry about anything. But instead, Jesus wanted them to be cleansed. Jesus realized that their leprosy was not their designed state. That it was not God's original intention when he designed humans. Rather, their leprosy was a physical sign of the brokenness that they lived in. And Jesus wanted them to be clean. He wanted to heal their brokenness. And Jesus wants the same thing for us this morning. It's another thing that we are not. We are not to be unclean. In order to explore this fully, I think it's important to go back to the beginning, the very beginning. When God created the world, when he created humans, scripture says that he saw that it was, he saw that it was good, right? It was good, and it was perfect, and it was pleasing. Humans were made to be God's reflection on earth, and they were doing a great job. They reflected his image. Humans were in perfect relationship with each other. They were in perfect relationship with God. They were in perfect relationship with creation. Everything was as it should be. But there came a moment when humans wanted to decide what was evil and what was good for themselves. Even though creation was perfect, God still gave humans the free will to choose him or to walk away. And so Adam and Eve turned from God and chose self-sovereignty over God's sovereignty. They forged their own path, and that path is called sin. Where once we were designed to be God's reflection, made in his image, meant to be good and to reflect good things, with the fall, brokenness, and sin into the world and into the lives of humans to the point where we no longer are perfect reflections, but instead our images are now blurry and darkened. But luckily, God provided a solution. And that solution is Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for the sin of Adam. He died on the, sin for Eve, died on the cross for the sin of Eve, and he died on the cross for the sin of you and me. He died so that we can have 
life. It is by the power of his death and resurrection with the hope of his spirit that even though we live in a broken and fallen world, we can still be made clean. Aren't you glad? We can be made clean today. We can once again reflect God's image and show the world what God looks like. But God requires two things of us in order to be cleansed. He requires the same thing of us that he requires of the lepers. The first thing that's required of us is that we have to cry out. Scripture tells us that when the lepers saw Jesus, they cried out to him, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. They're crying out to God. They know that they can't be healed on their own. They see their iniquity and their disease, and they realize that help is beyond their grasp. They must reach out to Jesus to heal them. And the same is true for us. In order to be healed of the brokenness that plagues our lives and the sin that so easily weighs us down, the first thing we have to do is cry out to the one who can help. It's coming to a point where we realize that cleanliness and forgiveness cannot come from within me, but instead I must cry out to a God who is ready and waiting to show me the love and grace and forgiveness that he has to offer. But my fear this morning is that so often we fail to cry out. We've become content with our disease Our flesh is flaking and our body is sore and yet we keep on living in brokenness and despair. And here Jesus is, he's passing by us and he's screaming to us, don't you want to be healed? Don't you want to be cleansed? Don't you want to be freed from sin? Don't you want to be healed from your brokenness? Aren't you sick and tired of having this disease? All you have to do is cry out. That's all I want for you. We need to admit our need for God and extend our hand to accept his healing touch. But there's a second part that God requires of us. After we cry out, we must be obedient in faith. You see, Luke 17 is one of the few miracles that doesn't happen on the spot. He could have healed the 10 lepers right then and right there. But instead, Jesus said, go and show yourselves to the priest. And it was as they went that they were healed. But this was more than simply blind obedience. It was going in faith, believing that God was going to do what he said he was going to do. They had faith that God wasn't going to lead them on a wild goose chase. After we cry out, we have to listen because God's going to speak He's gonna say, hey, that habit that you have, it's gotta go. Your tendency to gossip, that's not in line with me. Your addiction, you gotta hand that over. Whether you've been a Christian for a day or you've been a Christian for a lifetime, God is daily and continually wanting to cleanse you. It's a process that you've heard a lot about in this series called sanctification. It's that daily cycle of crying out to God on behalf of our brokenness, and then listen as he tells us that we need to prune off our habits and watch as his spirit begins to clean us and make him look more like Jesus. As I thought about this, I began to think that maybe Luke really wants us to place ourselves in the leper's shoes. Before we even knew Jesus, 
before we even came to a place where we invite him into our lives, you and I were outcasts. We were unclean. We were hurting and we were broken. The weight of our sin was like itching and rotting spots that marked our, our sin. Our guilt and our shame scarred us like missing fingers and like missing toes. But then we had an encounter. Jesus saw us. Let me say it again. Jesus saw you. Jesus saw you. He looked upon you. He saw your rotting flesh, your itchy spots, your missing limbs, but he did not see a leper, but instead he saw potential. He saw your heart. He saw what you could be, a valuable and essential, well-loved servant of the Most High. You see, when Jesus saw you, when we cried out to him and said, Jesus, have pity on me, when we took our first step in faith, knowing that if anyone could remove the weight of sin, it was Jesus Christ. If anyone could heal our flesh, regenerate our limbs, it was Jesus. And Jesus said to us, go and show yourself to the priest. And in obedience and faith, we took our first step and began walking to the priest, stepping out and following Jesus. And in that moment, as with the lepers, some spots disappeared. Marks of our brokenness and our sin were washed away. The itchy spots were replaced with new flesh. But you see, in our Christian walk today, right now, we're still on the journey to the priest. Today, we are still following Christ's command. And every step to the temple is a, t a step taken in faith. And every march to the priest is a march taken in obedience. And day by day, step by step, we see the God's Holy Spirit renewing us and sanctifying us. Where once I had a missing finger, it's now been reformed. And where once I had a blood-soaked bandage around my arm, by the power of God and his revitalizing spirit, I'm looking more and more like Christ every day and my bandage could be removed. That's what God does for us. And some things happened way back here. Some things happened when we took that first step for God, when we took that first step in obedience. Some things happen. Scales fell off and scabs disappeared, but other things tend to take more time, more steps of faith, more prayer, more obedience, and some things won't be completely removed until we meet the priest face to face. When in heaven we enter the great temple and we see Jesus for the first time, it's then that we'll be glorified and will be made completely new, a perfect reflection of the God we served. But right now, we're on a leper. We're a leper on a journey, day by day, made new by faith and obedience. And someday when Christ returns, that work will be complete. You're not called to be unclean, but the good news is we serve a God who daily and continually wants to cleanse us. I wanna go into my final point Let's finish the verse, verse 15. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked him, were not all 10 cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, rise and go, your faith has made you well. So Jesus heals 10 of these men with leprosy and only one comes back to give him praise. 
We don't know where the other nine went. Maybe they ran back to their families or went to Cheddar's to celebrate. We really don't know. We really don't know where they went, but we know that one had his priorities in order. And it's this one who serves as the twist in Luke's story. This man that came back and thanked Jesus and fell at his feet was a Samaritan. I'm sure many of you know the background of a Samaritan. In Jews' eyes, they were even worse than Gentiles. They didn't even want to be near them, let alone in the same room with them. But it was the outcast of the outcast that chose to give God praise. What the Samaritan reminds us of is that we are not to be distracted. We are not to become distracted. The other nine, they lost their way. They lost their focus. They forgot what mattered most. And I'm sure this Samaritan had friends and family he hadn't seen in years because of his disease. And yet he returns to Christ first. But this story illustrates a problem that so many of us can easily face. Whenever we're saved, invited into a community of God, we're no longer outcasts of our sin, but have been cleansed and adopted by God. We're Christians. We read our Bibles. We go to church. We pray. And yet we tend to become distracted. Just like the other nine lepers, we disappear. We lose focus. They'd only been healed a few minutes and they'd already grown comfortable and forgotten where the healing came from. Let me ask you this this morning. Do you remember where your healing comes from? Do you remember who cleansed you I don't think that we should ever get out of the habit at falling at Jesus' feet, prostrating ourselves before him. We should never get out of the habit of looking on God with awe and praise and thanksgiving simply for the fact that he loves us and he is continually cleansing us. It can be so easy to be distracted after God provides it for us. But maybe it's time that we fall at his feet once again and begin to praise him. When was the last time your gratitude for what God's done for you brought you to tears? When's the last time that you cried out of praise and adoration for all that Christ has done? When was the last time? As many of you know, this past week, our family gathered to celebrate the life of my grandpa, Gene, who passed away. And uh, I want to take this opportunity for both uh, Pastor Nathan and me to thank all of you who came out and who've been praying for our family. Um, it's greatly, greatly appreciated. We can't thank you enough. As we gathered to, rem- uh, to remember the life of Papa Jean, there was this ongoing theme that began to present itself. You see, you couldn't have a conversation with Papa Jean without him uttering a word of praise. I remember I would go and I'd sit next to him at Christmas or Thanksgiving. And he'd ask me how school was going, and I'd say, good. And he'd say, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. That's the first words out of his mouth. You got yourself a girl, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. You got yourself a job, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. And as you would catch up with Grandpa at these different holidays, it would always be interrupted by these shouts of praise that he would give And every year, he would pray for our Thanksgiving and Christmas meal, and his prayer would begin the same way. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. We praise your holy name. He just would pray. Like, half of his prayer was simply praise. And when I was younger, I used to think that was kind of weird. Like, it was a kind of a quirky habit that my grandpa had. But as I began to grow older 
And as I was sitting at his funeral, we were reflecting on the kind of man he was and a man who was always offering up praise to God. I realized that maybe my grandpa had figured something out. Maybe he realized the importance of not being distracted. He realized the fact that we must give God praise at all times for the big things, for the little things, for the miraculous healings, and the fact my grandson got a girlfriend, right? Praise all the time. The first thing we say, the first thing we praise, the first thing that we pray and the first thing we say is always praise for all God has done for us because we serve a good God and our God is faithful. He's removed our leper's spots and cleanses us day by day. What a reason to give praise. And I believe that my grandpa is in heaven right now praising God. And one day all of us will join him and we'll spend eternity praising God for his glory and his majesty and his faithfulness. But the truth is we don't have to wait till that day to give God praise. But instead we can start today. We should thank God that he isn't finished with us. It's important to remember that we aren't to be distracted, but instead, right now, today, we can give God the praise and the glory he's due. The first thing we say and the first thing we pray should always be praise. Will you stand with me? Alyssa's going to come. She's gonna play piano for us, and I can think of no better way to end a service on this particular passage than by participating in communion. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my, bo- in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. When we take communion together, we choose to remember his life, his suffering, his death, and his resurrection. But we also look ahead with certain hope of his return. That day we can praise him for all eternity. You don't have to be a member of this church to take communion, but we ask that you do have a relationship with Jesus Christ. All who are truly repentant and forsaken their sins and believe in Christ for salvation can come to the table this morning. Parents, we'd be happy to serve your kids if you feel they understand the purpose behind communion. If those who are serving communion could come at this time. As you partake of communion this morning, may we be reminded of the sacrifice of Christ, that by this very special and intentional act of self-giving on the cross, we are no longer defined by our sin. We're no longer defined by our past mistakes or current slip-ups, but rather we're defined by Him. And by Him, we are given purpose. As we partake of this communion supper, when we look around and see the community in which we're gathered, different ages, different sizes, different backgrounds, and yet each and every one of us grateful for what God has done. May God open our hearts and change our minds to stop writing people off, but rather begin to see the world as Jesus sees it. May we stop just seeing people, but really see people.
as we're reminded of Christ's sacrifice, maybe realize that it's because of his blood that we can be cleansed. That we're not trapped in our uncleanliness and weighed down by our sin, but rather we are able to have life and life to the fullest. May we, have, may we call out to him this moment and in faith and obedience be there to receive his cleansing work day after day after day. And finally, may this communion supper help us once again to give God the praise and the glory he's due. Not just for the sacrifice he made on the cross, but what he's doing for us each and every day by the power of his Holy Spirit. Will you pray with me before we partake of communion?